0: Good morning my name is Tracy Beckwith and normally on Wednesday mornings I am downstairs with the Red Robins so um, if you if you ever doubt that God is in every little detail yesterday um, I had sent Anna an email just telling her kind of what I was going to be talking about today but made no request for any specific song and um, this morning on the way to Church, I was listening to the radio, and Glory to God came on, and I thought, oh my gosh, that would be the perfect song for this morning, and she sang it. So um, God is in every little detail. So before we dive in, let's watch this video and remember a part of some of our pasts at least. Well, few of us drink the real thing anymore today because we don't want the sugar, the caffeine, maybe we don't want the calories, but we still want part of it. And that's what the world, um, that's the way the world works. Even Coke doesn't show the real thing adds anymore because hardly anybody drinks it because we've twisted it and changed it so much to fit our needs. Um, But in our heart of hearts, don't we all long for the real thing? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray. Pray that you be with us right now as we study this passage in Isaiah and study your life and your death and all that it did for us. Just pray that you would open our ears and help us to hear so that our hearts can be transformed to be more like you, the real thing. So who is the suffering servant in this passage of Isaiah? Um, Isaiah was speaking to the Israelites and he was giving them hope. And not only giving them hope and telling them what was to come in the future and what to look for, but what God's will was. Um, He was telling them that the real thing, the ultimate sacrifice, was going to be given to them and that um, it would be coming and that they needed to be ready for it. So why did they not believe that this passage was about the Messiah? As I, the more I learned and studied, I um, realized they did believe this passage was about the coming Messiah. And it was very commonly taught to the Jews that this passage in Isaiah spoke of the Messiah that was to come. Um, so why did they not believe it? I don't know. But Romans eleven five five through eight says, It is the same today, for a few few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, His undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their works. For in that case God's grace would not be what it is, free and undeserved. So, this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the Scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day He has shut their eyes so they do not see, and closed their ears so they do not hear." So, that's what the Scriptures tell us why they have not always believed that this passage was the Messiah. So, Jesus came, He was um, born, lived his life, died, buried in resurrection, and they did not recognize him as the Messiah that Isaiah had so eloquently spoken of. And in the Middle Ages, it was not a real wonderful time in history for Christians because they persecuted the Jews very heavily during this time. And one of the things, amongst others, that they did was they used the passage of Isaiah 53 to kind of beat them with it. And you you should see that this is, the Messiah that Isaiah was talking about. Why can't you see that this is the fulfillment, that Jesus's life and death was the fulfillment of this passage? So instead of searching for the truth, the scholars and rabbis and the leaders of the Jewish faith at that time decided it would be easier to change the meaning of Isaiah 53 and the commonly held belief. So a French rabbi named Rashi began preaching that Isaiah 53 no longer spoke of, was not speaking of the Messiah, it really really was speaking of Israel. And that is the commonly held belief today by the um, Jews, that Isaiah 53 is speaking of the nation of Israel. So for the people of this time, Self-preservation became more important than seeking the truth and finding the truth. So how often do we do this? We want the real thing, but we twist Scripture to fit our needs or we take it out of context to fit what we want it to say. We choose Diet Coke instead of Classic. So could Israel be the suffering servant? I would tell you definitely not, and I think the Scriptures clearly confirm that. For one, Israel is not an innocent sufferer. Isaiah 1.4 tells us, "'Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, "'a brood of evildoers, children given to corruptions. "'They have forsaken the Lord, "'they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, "'and turned their backs on Him.'" Clearly, they were not innocent, as um, this passage in Isaiah tells us the suffering servant was. Israel has not been silent in their suffering. They cried out in the desert. They complained when they were captive in Egypt. And, you know, everything we've been studying this semester, we have learned just over and over they complained. So they have not been silent, as the passage tells us. Israel never died. The scripture um, clearly points to an individual suffering, not a nation. And lastly, and the most obvious to me, Israel cannot die to save Israel. So it's impossible for the suffering servant to be Israel. So if it is not Israel, who is it? We know the suffering servant to be the real thing, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Messiah. And I am not going to really talk about it right now, but I did in my preparation create a chart of the Isaiah passage and then um, the passages of the fulfillment. It does not have all the passages that fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah on this chart because um, I couldn't have gotten it on one page. So I just there's at least one or two verses for every verse in Isaiah, and we'll hand that out to you if you want it just to have um, when you're leaving this morning. So before we continue on, let's watch another blast from our past. Well, you can't beat the real thing, so let's talk about... what we know to be the real thing is, and that that is Christ. What can we learn from this passage in Isaiah, and what should our response to Him be? What does this passage tell us that His life and His death accomplished? The better we know Him and the more we understand His plan, the less likely we are to twist and accept only parts of His Word, and the more likely we are to live the way He has called us to live. In other words, if you were drinking Classic Coke and someone tries to give you Coke Zero or Diet Coke, would you know the difference? Jesus is the real thing. He is the real sacrifice, the real sufferer, and the real servant. So let's take a look at each of these and see how we can become more like the real thing. First, He is the real sacrifice. Christ gave His life, so that God could remain true to his character. Yes, he saved us from our sins, but most importantly, he needed to reconcile us to God who was holy and just and couldn't have anything to do with our sin. So Christ willingly gave up what was rightfully his. He came to earth, he was, Isaiah tells us he was despised, he was rejected, pierced, burdened, crushed, punished, wounded. And buried, all for the payment of our sins. He took what we deserved so that we could be reconciled to God. <coughs> Sorry. And he did it for God's glory. Isaiah 52 13 says, He acted wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. God, uh, Jesus knew the plan, He knew the Father, He trusted in the plan that the Father had. And um, he knew there would be victory. And so Christ gave everything. He kept nothing for himself because he knew in the end his sacrifice would be worth it. Um, I think of the picture that I remember seeing a lot growing up as a child of the shepherd holding that lamb. And we know the lamb to be the perfect the sacrifice, and Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. So I thought of the picture. Jesus knew it was worth it, that when any one of us takes his broken body in our arms, just like that shepherd held that lamb, and we accept that as a gift, and we offer it back to God saying, we can't do this for ourselves, but here, here he is. And we offer that broken body back, back to God, every time, and we are redeemed. Every time that happens, Jesus must say, it was worth it. Everything I sacrificed was worth it so that my children could become reconciled to the Father. So are you willing to sacrifice and um, give everything to the Lord? Romans 12, one and two says, And pleasing and perfect just this past Sunday in um, the children's ministry the first through fifth graders were being taught a character quality which is kind of their typical teaching each week and this week throughout the morning they gave the kids candy but they were told the kids were told in the beginning you're going to be given this but don't eat it and so they just kept getting their candy, they, you know, each had a little pile, they got it for any reason they could, the leaders could think of, they gave them a piece of candy. Well, then they told them the story of the rich young ruler, which is the story of the wealthy young man that came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to enter the Kingdom of Heaven? And Jesus said, you need to give up everything and follow Me. So the kids were told this story, and they were explained. They it, were, it was explained to them that they had a that the rich young ruler had a choice to make. He could keep everything for himself, or he could give up everything and follow Jesus. Well, just as they were given a choice, just as we are given a choice, the the kids were given a choice by their leaders, and they said, "Next Saturday is the extravaganza in West Dallas, and they need candy for that." So you have a choice to make. You can take your candy and give it to West Dallas for the extravaganza, or you can keep it for yourself. And, but it's all or none. You have to give it, either keep it all or give it all. And they said, the leader said it was very interesting because some kids immediately picked up their candy, put it in their pockets, and they were done. They were on their way. Some even began eating it at that point. Um, Others really debated what they should do, but one boy, one little boy in particular, really was struggling. And he just sat there with his pile of candy in front of him, and he began to pray. And he prayed, asking, God, what, what am I supposed to do? And after he prayed, he picked up his candy. Now, I've said this story out loud many times, and it didn't make me emotional, but it does now. Um, he picked up his candy, and he gave it to the leaders, and he said, I want to give this to the, for the extravaganza. And after he did he goes, oh, that was hard. <laughs> and he said, I only had to give up candy. The rich young ruler had to give up everything. And the leader then, right, right then knew this kid at this young age knew what it was to sacrifice for the Lord. So it's not easy. But um, Hebrews 10, 14 says, because by one sacrifice he, is, he had made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Christ's sacrifice sanctified us and for, forever made us acceptable to God. We never know when the sacrifices that we make may lead others to the one who sanctified, um, who sacrificed his very life so that we may live. It is not easy, just like it was not easy for that little boy to give up all of his candy, but Christ leaving the comforts of heaven to be rejected, despised, crucified, and buried, wasn't easy either, but he did it for God's glory and we should too. Next, we know that Jesus um, is the real sufferer. Christ suffered a painful death on the cross. He took everything that we deserved and suffered that death so we wouldn't have to. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so He did not open His mouth. Christ knew He... Um, oh, Sorry. So that passage tells us that Christ knew He was in the Lord's will and that suffering was part of God's sovereign plan. Um, He didn't fight it. He willingly accepted it, and God's glory triumphed. We, too, are to follow Christ's example in suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 tells us, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed and glory revealed. As Todd said several Sundays ago in his sermon about the um, royal official and his son, that suffering is typically allowed in in our lives by God to turn... back to him or to turn others to him and that his glory may be revealed so this kind of suffering is allowed because God trusts us and he knows our faith will endure and it will get us through but either way we have a choice to make we can allow God to work transform us draw us to himself and let the world see his glory or we can live in our suffering complaining, arguing, and trying not to grow and change from it. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 tells us, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus remembered that his suffering was not about him. He knew it was to comfort us because the Isaiah passage tells us, he took our sorrows. So he knew it was to comfort us with the comfort um, that we've been given and to reconcile us, you, me, and all sinners, to the Father. We must trust and believe all the time, but especially at times of trial and suffering that God allows everything into our lives and will use it for His glory if we choose to let Him. Last year, a good friend of mine had just lots of suffering in her life, really for a pretty long period of time. In a matter of a month, um, she lost a friend and then um, three of her grandparents. She was really grieving and suffering. But through all that, she knew God was with her, she knew He was good, and she knew there had to be a reason for why she was suffering so much at one time. And very soon after that, she, out of the blue, was contacted by a woman. And this woman was the mother of a former student who she had not seen in, I don't know, probably 10 years. And the student that she had had in third grade had lost his life at the age of 19. And it was his mother that was contacting Suzanne and really was reaching out to her. She wanted Suzanne to know that he had died. And the reason was because the boy had written through the years and um, in different writings about how much Suzanne had impacted his life. And so at this time, She wanted Suzanne to know, but she also, she just needed comfort. And Suzanne could see that the comfort that she had been given in all of her grieving, she could comfort this woman. And they began meeting together. And this woman um, wasn't grieving with the hope of Christ, even though she knew who Christ was, she wasn't grieving that way in her day-to-day, living that way in her day-to-day life. And Suzanne was able to sit with her and identify with her grief. But not only that, she was able to share how she was able to grieve with hope and able to grieve with Jesus' help. And it really ministered to this woman. So we never know what we are going through, how God might use that for His glory. We just have to trust that He will. Our suffering refines us. It makes us more like Christ. And glory is given to God when we trust His sovereignty and will for our lives. We must believe there is a greater good um, in our suffering. And we are to live with an eternal perspective. Remember, there will be victory. The Isaiah passage tells us that and all throughout the Old Testament. And we know the end of the story, there will be victory. On earth, God's glory is revealed, we are drawn to Him And in the end, suffering is overcome forever. We also know Jesus to be the real servant. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 states, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself. At the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." First, this passage tells us that we are to have the mindset of Christ. Our security comes from Christ, not the world. He was able to accomplish what He did because He knew who He was, What his job was and he did it in spite of being rejected and despised he knew the father and trusted the father completely Christ knew the father's will and was secure in his plan for us we must trust and obey the Lord and we must know him in order to be able to do that we must consider ourselves better than others Jesus was God with all the rights that that afforded him, but he didn't think of himself as better. He humbled himself, he came to earth, took on our sins, and died a cruel death, all because he knew the Father and trusted his plan. Do you know the Father so well that you're able to live in that manner? We must bear one another's burdens. Scripture tells us in the Isaiah passage that Um, Christ took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Did you notice that? He took them. He didn't tell us where to take them. He took them. Um, We often want to give somebody the magic pill, the quick fix. Here's how you can solve that problem. Instead of getting our hands dirty and carrying their burdens with them. But if we do that, we may circumvent what God is trying to do. And I know this is not easy because I often wanna fix my kids, especially when they're struggling with something, I just wanna fix it. But I have come to know that I may circumvent what God's trying to do in their lives. And so we have to carry their burdens with them, not for them, but with them. But if we do that, um, when we do that, we can um, see the transformation that God allows. This type of service will take time. It might be inconvenient. It may cause us to suffer. It may cost us money, but it's the life that um, we are called to by Christ. The message version of 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21 says, you who are servants, be good servants to your masters, not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. No particular, there's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited to, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know it could be done and also know how to do it step by step christ bore our griefs and sorrows we can't do it in the same redemptive way only christ can redeem and sanctify us but as his children we are called to live a life of sacrifice so that we serve others and hopefully lead to him where they can lay their burdens at the cross and thus being forgiven and redeemed. And, um, next, we must be content in the Father's will. Isaiah 53 7 9 told us that Christ was. It may seem crazy and wrong to us. It certainly will seem crazy and wrong to the world at times because the world tells us that success is the goal. But in God's economy, success is knowing the Father's will and doing it. God may call us to go to Africa or to teach women or he may call us to work on the crafts and gather supplies that others will take to Africa. Um, One seems much more important and much more glamorous in the world's eyes but that's not how God operates. God doesn't operate the way the world does. He is looking for obedience and what He calls each of us as His children to do. Our job is to determine to be faithful and leave the outcome of our service in God's hands. We may never see the fruit of our service, but that doesn't matter. That's up to God, not up to us. We are just to be obedient and be faithful in our service. Um, there's a story that may be familiar to many of you that happened a long time ago. And that is the story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and several other missionaries. And they were serving the Aka Indians. And in, I don't know if you say that. That's how you say it. But um, in Ecuador. And they had been there serving. And they came back. And on this trip back, when their plane landed on the beach, the Indians just savagely attacked them and killed them. And to the world, it looked like their sacrifice and their service was for naught. But we know the end of the story, and the story is actually still being written, that thousands of people have come to Christ because these men went there and served. And generations of families now know the Lord because these men died on that beach that day. Um. Even the son of Nate Saint has gone back and befriended the man who actually killed his father. And they have a very close relationship, and complete forgiveness has been given. Um, And so, Jim Elliott didn't worry if his service would be worth it. He just determined to be faithful, and he left the outcome in God's hands. And we know his service was Used for God's glory. So in closing. If you were an avid drinker of Coke. You would know if someone tried to slip you Coke Zero. Or Diet Coke. They may be similar. But they're not the same. The world tries to twist truth. And fit scripture into their needs. Just like in the um, Middle Ages. The French rabbi did. He wanted to twist that scripture to fit his need. But we, um, we are told in Scripture that the world will try to fool us. So are you prepared so you don't get caught when something being presented as real, is not truth? You must know the Father, follow the example that Christ gave us. And if you'll think back to all three stories I told you, the one of the kids here on Sunday, my friend Suzanne, and the Jim Elliott story, they, all, they had all three aspects of um, suffering, being the servant, and sacrifice. And that is how we are to live our lives. We are to sacrifice um, our life, suffer with an eternal perspective, and serve others all for God's glory. And so I encourage you to really look at the word, look at your life, and see if you're doing that. And as we head into Holy Week, it's just a great time to really take a look at what Christ did for us on the cross and what his life and death accomplished so that we don't have to die that cruel and brutal death, but we can sacrifice our lives for him, suffer eternally with an eternal perspective and serve others all for God's glory. I pray, <laughs> dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that um, you did come and that you died on the cross for us. And as we um, just just contemplate all that that means throughout this next week, and we read the scriptures of how you so beautifully fulfilled that prophecy in Isaiah, I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be opened up to sacrificing for you to suffering with an eternal perspective so that your glory can be revealed and that we will choose to serve others again so that your glory can triumph. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.